Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. It is good to see each and every one of you this evening. Let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll be turning in our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in the last chapter, last few verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, You can find it in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and there it is, 1 Corinthians. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. (laughs) Turn back a bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Then we will read God's word and I will give an explanation of what it says. Let's bow our heads before Almighty God and commit this time to Him. Father God in heaven, I do thank you for your word. It is faithful, it is true, without error and all sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. And Lord God, even this evening, I give you particular thanks for your word because in it we see Jesus Christ. And he is beautiful. He is amazing. He is wonderful, altogether holy. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Lord God, this evening, might we see him clearly. Lord God, would you even move our hearts that we would love him more dearly and serve him, live lives which are transformed towards his image, that you, O God, might be glorified by this people, in this place. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Friends, I'm assuming that you have found 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm going to read from verse 13 to verse 24. That's the passage of Scripture that we are looking at this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning at the 13th verse. Hear the word of God. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Archaea. And that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Archaeus because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches in Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord Come, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. 
Amen. What's love got to do with it? That's the title of this morning's message. And it's really taken as an overview of the whole book of Corinthians that we have been in for the last many months. You'll remember from chapter 1 verse 1 when we opened up the book that Paul has planted a church in Corinth towards the end of his second missionary journey. A few years after leaving Corinth, Paul hears disturbing reports about how the young church plant was doing. And then he spends this whole book addressing a number of issues that have been raised to him. The first four chapters, from chapter one to chapter four, it seems as if ugly divisions have risen amongst the members. And then from chapter five through to chapter seven, it seems as if in the city of Corinth, uh, sexual perversion was the norm, and this had bled into the church, and there was now a toleration for sexual immorality and perversion. From chapters 8 to chapters 10, it turns out that within the context of that local church, there was a spat about what foods you could eat and what foods you couldn't eat, the foods that had been offered to idols. From chapter 11 to chapter 14, Paul addressed the disorder and the excesses which were in the gathering that were related to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then the whole of chapter 15, which was a fairly long chapter, and we we did it quite slowly, uh, we addressed some false teaching that had infiltrated the church related to the resurrection um, and how Paul addressed that. And so the Apostle Paul really writes this letter to the Corinthians to demonstrate how the gospel must be applied to all of life, to these matters and to everything else, and to point them to the cross, to the person of Jesus Christ who must be the foundation of any solid faith. Now this evening as we come to the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul's theme as he wraps up his own book is love. Uh, we're asking the question from our text, what's love got to do with it? And the answer is everything. We read in verse 13 to 14, as we'll see shortly, that the battle for the church in Corinth is to be waged in love. And then as we read from verse 15 to verse 18, we will see that the church's leaders must lead in love, serving tirelessly and in love, the followers are to submit willfully to them. And then from verse 19 to verse 21, we will see that love binds believers in the local church to believers everywhere. As we get right to the very end of the book in verse 22, we will read that all that matters in the end is do you love Jesus? And does he love you? And in the last two verses of the book, finally, love for God and love for his people compels us to confront sin, which is what Paul has been doing in the majority of the book. And so the question is, what has love got to do with it? 
And our first point this evening, point 105, is that love wins. And we take that from verse 13 and 14. Let me tell you what it's saying, and then we'll read it. The battle for the local church is to be waged in love. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, (laughs) be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Those are very obviously commands. And the first two battlefield commands are to soldiers that are guarding the walls. The first command to a guarding soldier is be watchful, be vigilant against divisions, against sexual immorality, against legalism, against disorder in our worship gatherings, against false teaching, against all the things that Paul has been speaking about in 1 Corinthians. The second order is be firm. Hold fast. That's the song we're going to close in tonight. Hold fast. Hold fast to scripture. Hold fast to sound doctrine. Don't slip into wrong thinking, wrong belief, or wrong behavior. The next two battlefield commands are to warriors stepping into combat zone. The first Command, the third command in total, but the first of these two is act like men. And really, the idea that he's trying to convey is be mature, grow up, exercise sound judgment, be resolute, be manly, be firm as you contest for the faith. The fourth battlefield command to warriors stepping into the battle zone is be strong. And the call is really interesting, maybe a little bit nerdy, but let me tell you about it because it was fascinating while I was reading it. The, the call to be strong in verse 13 is in the passive voice. In Greek, the passive voice indicates that the strength to perform the action doesn't come from the subject. It doesn't come from you. When Paul says, be strong in the passive voice, he is indicating that if you are to be strong, Your strength needs to come from outside of yourself, from God's indwelling spirit. Four battlefield commands, followed by one overarching motivation, love. Do be done in love. Not with love, um, in love. Paul is not saying... Be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong, and do these four things alongside love. No. Paul is saying that as we go about being watchful, as we go about standing firm, as we go about acting like men, as we go about being strong, love must permeate. Love must saturate. Love must infuse all that we do. This is divine love. This is agape love. This is God-like love. This is God-enabled love. What's love got to do with it? The battle for the local church is to be waged in love. And when we wage that battle in love, love wins. Next few verses from verse 15 to verse 18. Here's the second point. Love wins leads. 
Love leads. Let me tell you what these next few verses are all about, and then I'll read it so that we've got it close to mind. Church leaders are to lead in love, serving tirelessly. And in love, those who follow are to submit willfully. This is what the text says from verse 15 to verse 18. Now I urge you, brothers, you could add in sisters, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Archaea and that they have been devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Archaeus, because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Therefore, give recognition to such people. He describes a household, and he, he says of them that they are the first converts. Quite literally, he says that they are the first fruits. These were the first converts when he came to Corinth and presented the gospel to the Corinthians. He talks of, of them being devoted to the service of the saints. Now, this is really important. If you've been in the church for a while, but you are looking, you're not quite in the pool at the pool party, you're still standing on the side, and you're waiting to think if you should jump in or not, this is what jumping in looks like. It looks like Christian service. All Christians are called to a life of humble service, each and every single one of us. It is true that some people are specifically gifted to serve, and it's also true that deacons in particular are recognized into the office of servant in the local church. But we don't even get told which category of servant-heartedness or office-bearedness these saints fall into. We don't know how they served or what they did. All that we know is that they were devoted to the service of the saints and they were exemplary servants and Paul calls them out. You'll note in the text that they are called fellow workers and laborers. These men were engaged in continual, intense, hard, wearisome work. Paul used this word to describe himself elsewhere. You can remember when it came to working for the gospel, Paul was able to say to the saints in Ephesus that I serve night and day with tears. God doesn't use lazy men to achieve his ends. And the church isn't encouraged to follow lazy pastors. This household included leaders in the church. And precisely because of their faith, these were the first fruits, and their devotion to service, their loving leadership, Paul calls on the church to be subject to them, submissive to them, and to give them recognition. Recognize men who bring spiritual refreshment, spiritual encouragement, spiritual comfort. They are a pleasing aroma in our midst. They are good men to be around. When you have them, recognize them. So what's love got to do with it? The first point is that love wins. And the second is that church leaders are to lead in love 
serving tirelessly. And in love, those that follow are to submit willfully. Love leads. Our third point is that love binds. Love binds. And I I get that from verse 19 through to verse 21. Listen to what that passage, that, that, that section is talking about, and then I'll read it so that we have it close to mind and explain it to you. Love binds believers in the local church to believers everywhere. Okay, this is what the text says from verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila, Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. What's the key word (laughs) in these three verses? Well, it's greet, right? I mean, you can see it. It's repeated over and over again five times. To greet is to salute, to embrace. And we have five distinct groups of greetings in this text. The first group is those of all the churches in the province of Asia. That's not Asia as we think of Asia today. That's Asia, a Roman um, proconsul, uh, an, an area called Asia Minor, um, just on the right side of a modern-day map uh, of Europe, uh, with whom Paul was in touch. And they send greetings. The universal church is connected to this small, battled church in Corinth. The second group is the church in Ephesus in particular. This is where Paul is writing from. The church in Ephesus, led by, at this stage, Aquila and Priscilla. They send greetings. There's an inter-church relationship, and that's a good thing. We've been promoting Ascension Day services that are coming up on the 18th of May, 7 o'clock here at Arcadia. Invite your friends. One of the joys of an Ascension Day service is we get to worship Jesus. But another key joy of that service is that we combine with other churches. The church in Mamelodi, we get to combine with living hope down the road. We get to combine with a number of churches in our city as we praise and glorify God together. There is an interchurch relationship, the second group of greetings. The third group of greetings is that all the brothers, this is probably as I read through the text, referring to Paul's traveling companions. Um, Paul didn't write this letter by himself. We hear of Sosthenes in chapter 1, verse 2, I think it was, might have been in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, a writing companion, the person who was actually penning as Paul was dictating to him. And Paul's got friends in the ministry, and they all send greetings to this church in Corinth. The fourth group is us. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We are bound to one another. We are to pass the peace on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. I think we actually did that today. Was that intentional, Isaac? You're so smart. You definitely read ahead. Um, But, you know, when Isaac says, greet the people around you, we don't come to church as individuals and sit as individuals and worship as individuals. No, when we come to church on a Sunday night or on a Sunday morning, we come as a community. We to know the people to the left of us and to the right of us and the people sitting behind us and in front of us. We, we to love them. We to embrace them. When you read uh, 
this idea of greeting one another with a holy kiss, that was a spontaneous expression of brotherly or sisterly love, which in that day was expressed by a kiss. Today, a warm, affectionate handshake <laughs> or side hug <laughs> can express the same kinds of affection. Culture has shifted. Lastly, verse 21, this is really important. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Lastly, even Paul gets in on the action and and greets the Corinthians. Up until this point, the letter has been inscribed by Sosthenes. But now Paul adds his personal touch to the letter, as he does at the end of other New Testament epistles. What is love got to do with it well friends love wins we read about that in verse 13 and 14 and love leads we read about that in verse 15 through to verse 18 and love binds believers in local churches to believers everywhere love binds verse 19 through to verse 21 we're almost at the end second to last uh, point and it is that love cares love cares let me tell you what verse 22 is all about all that matters is do you love jesus and does he love you listen to verse 22 if anyone has no love for the lord let him be accursed our Lord come. Love for the Lord, yeah. Very interesting. This is very interesting. Um, when I saw it, I was quite surprised. Often when you're reading um, original languages in the New Testament, it's, it's Greek. There's, there's, there's a couple of surprises in this text, it turns out. It's Greek. Um, and when you read the word love, the word love is so stock standard, you, you're more often than not seeing the word agape. That's that divine love. That's that God-given love. That's the kind of love that Jesus went to the cross for, to die for sinners just like you. That's not the word which is used here. Fascinating. The word that's used here is filet. Um, It is a brotherly love. It is a love of tender affection. Well, what could that be? possibly mean and what bearing does this have on the text let me tell you a story Uh, at the end i love john's gospel favorite gospel john's gospel i love john's gospel you get to the end of john's gospel the last chapter and um, in john's gospel the 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 apostle peter has denied christ three times and the end of john's gospel doesn't happen just before jesus uh, ascends into heaven Uh, That is in the Gospel of Luke. It doesn't happen on the mountain in Galilee. That's the end of the Gospel of Matthew. It doesn't end at the garden tomb. That's the end of the Gospel of Mark. John's Gospel ends at the Sea of Tiberias as Jesus is going up to Galilee. And at the Sea of Tiberias, the, the men are fishing. You know that story, right? They, they're fishing. They haven't caught anything all through the night. They see Jesus on the shore. He shouts out to them, have you caught anything? They say no. He says, throw your nets to the other side. I don't know why they did it, <laughs> but they do. They throw the nets to the other side. They catch 140, I might get the number wrong. Let's go with five fish. 
Uh, in fact, the hall is so big that the nets start to break as they take it in. As this is rolling out, the Apostle John, who loves Jesus, he looks to the shore and he gets it. That's Jesus. And so he says to his friend Peter, the fisherman behind him, Peter, it's Jesus. You know what Peter does? He takes, he just jumps in. He just dives in. He just has to get to the shore. He can't even wait for the boat to drag the fish in. He gets to the shore and Jesus has made breakfast. He's um, grilled fish whatever, um, baked fish. I don't, I'm not a cook. <laughs> but there's a fire and there's fish. And we know the story, right? Peter is restored. Um, he's restored. In fact, we know Jesus asks him, like he denied Jesus three times. Jesus asks him three times, do you love me, right? When Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? He says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with the kind of love that I love the world? Do you know how Peter answers him? Lord, you know our same word, fillet you. I, I, I have a tender affection in my heart towards you. Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And once again, Peter responds. He says, Lord, I, I have a tender love affection toward you. Then the third time, it always fascinated me, because the third time that Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? Peter is saddened that Jesus asks. And I thought maybe it was because Jesus kept on asking the same question. Turns out not. Jesus is, Peter, do you love me with a tender heart affection? He uses a different word. He uses the same word that we're using tonight. He doesn't say, do you agape me? He says, do you phileo me? Do you, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I have a tender love, heart, affection to you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. What's the point? The point here is that Jesus accepts Peter's love, his, his tender heart affections, because it points to the reality that Peter loves Jesus. He's humbled and he's restored back to Jesus. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. Guys, this is so important. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, listen to this. If anyone has no love, no tender heart affection for the Lord, for Jesus Christ, Paul says, let him be accursed. In Greek, the word is anathema. Let him be accursed. It is a terrifying thing that Paul puts in front of you. If you don't love Jesus, there will be a time that Jesus Christ comes to judge the living and the dead, and on that day, there will be no love. There will be judgment, and there will be wrath. But the love that he exercises then will be to those who have loved him now. And Paul compounds that. He says after, let him be accursed. Uh, in our English version, uh, the ESV, it says, our Lord come. Uh, many of the other, ver uh, other versions don't actually translate the word. They transliterate the word. The word is maranatha. Maranatha. It's actually not a Greek word. It's an Aramaic word. It's a word which had come into common use. People knew what it meant. It was a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Uh, believers, you know what that's like, right? You hear of just disgusting things happening on the news. 
you, you hear of just the state of the world. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you must have prayed at some stage, Lord, come. Come and redeem your people and wipe the sin out from the world. But the way that it's used here, I think is even more ominous. Paul says, if you don't love Jesus, let you be accursed. And then he says, Jesus Christ is coming. Friends, if you have not yet placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, there will soon come a day where you will stand before him and give an account. And on that day, it doesn't matter how good you have been in this life. The truth is, you haven't lived according to God's holy standard. That's why you feel guilt in your life. God is holy, and man is sinful. That's you too, and the wages of our sin is death. And yet Jesus came into this world and died in your place as a substitute. His life for your life, his righteousness for your unrighteousness, that you might be redeemed. Friend, on that day, there is a hope for you right now. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, you will be saved. With Christians throughout all the ages, you will be able to look forward to the day when Jesus comes to claim his bride and then forever celebrates together with them as we worship him forever and ever. Will you accept the gospel claim today, Jesus died for your sins. Is he not worthy of your affection, of your love, of your devotion? Jesus rose from the grave. Is he not worthy of your adoration, of your love, of your worship? Repent and believe in him. Put your faith in him and you will live. Do not delay. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today. What's love got to do with it? Well, our first point is that love wins. That was verse 13 and 14. Our second point is that love leads. Our third point is that love binds. And our fourth point is that all that matters is do you love Jesus and does he love you? Jesus, uh, love cares. Well, to close off, we read verse 23 and 24. And the last point is that love compels in that section. Uh, what is it saying in those two verses? Love for God and love for his people compels us to f confront sin. Paul closes his letter by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Uh, that's a uh, uh, divine bookends. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 started off by saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we sang this evening. Um, the end of the book ends off with the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And then Paul says my love be with you all. And the bottom line is this isn't an easy letter to read. Even today, it's so contemporary. 
But Paul has spent all of his time knocking these Corinthians over the head for the kinds of things that they were doing wrong. Their ugly divisions, their toleration of sexual immorality, their spats over food, this disorder and excesses in their gatherings, and the false teaching which had crept into their midst. Paul has brought strong rebuke to the Corinthians, but now as he ends, he says, my love, my love, my love be with you all, because love compels us to deal with sin. Proverbs 27 verse 5 says, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. And Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Paul's deep love for them, which would not allow him to overlook their sins and their problems, but would speak truth to them in love. Friends, truth without love can be cold. Love without truth is a lie, but truth in love is God-glorifying. What's love got to do with it? Love wins. Love leads. Love binds. Love cares. And love for God and his people motivates us to confront sin. Love compels. That's what love's got to do with it. Love points us to Jesus. Love is the greatest expression of the gospel. Love has everything to do with how we, even this evening, become a healthy, God-glorifying church. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, I do thank you for your word. Again, it is faithful and true, and Lord, it is sufficient for all matters of life and for godliness. Even this evening as we have heard the words of Paul, I trust that we will understand them. Would you renew our minds? Would you stir the affections of our hearts that we would chase after things which glorify you? And would you transform our lives that we would reflect Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to the next? These things I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.